Welcome to Simple But Not Easy, a mindfulness podcast. I'm your host, Paul Dager. In today's episode, we meet Katie Fogel. Katie is an avid cyclist, mental health advocate, and social media influencer living in Miami. She is also the senior manager of marketing and social media content at Bend Health, a national provider of pediatric mental health care services for children and families. Let's hear how she uses cycling as a form of meditation and pick her brain about how we can be more mindful about our social media use. Katie, thank you so much for joining me today and having a conversation about mindfulness and your personal journey. And where do you want to start our conversation about your your path of mindfulness? Thank you, Paul. Yeah, I'd love to dive into where my journey began, um, how it hit a place of resistance to mindfulness, and how it now became my career. I work for a mental health company. I share about mental health on social media. I'd love to start from uh, childhood me who was struggling with mental health, but resistant to mindfulness. I, I am so hooked with that intro. Let's dive in. Fifth grade, Katie was pulling out her eyebrows and eyelashes due to stress. I was mm. picking at my skin, which was very difficult to go to school as a fifth grader with no eyebrows and no eyelashes. Yeah, imagine yeah. like some bullying. And I never thought to address the mental health aspect of this. It is a mental health disorder. It's called trichotillomania. It's a part of OCD related to a compulsion. In my mind, this was a physical problem where my hands were pulling out pieces of hair or looking at my skin. I was just very focused in on addressing that physical action. So my parents would have me wear fuzzy gloves at night to prevent any picking. I was just very focused on my hands and staying busy. I also didn't know that this was a common thing either. The conversations about mental health weren't as open as they are now. So I also felt very alone in this disorder. I didn't even have a name for it at the time. It was just a weird thing that I did. This continued throughout high school and college. And as I grew up and had access to the internet, I did discover that this was something that other people were suffering from and that it is a part of OCD that you can pick out your hair and your skin. A lot of people bite their lip or cut their cuticles. The answers that I found to address it were mental health, therapy, mindfulness, and meditation. High school and college me rolled her eyes at that. (laughs) That's not the answer I wanted. It sounds silly, but I wanted a medication to take that would just fix that. And I would just stop, you know, any bad habits. I would stop pulling at hair when I was stressed. I would stop Mm -hmm. picking at my skin when I was stressed. I completely resisted trying mental health tactics like therapy or just sitting down and listening to a meditation. It just was something that I think I was exposed to bad stereotypes growing up. I think it was not open to it. So when I was an athlete, I like to see myself as very strong. And I didn't consider that a part of uh, being a strong, independent woman that I wanted to be. I didn't want to be sitting around meditating. I wanted to be lifting weights in the gym. After college, I had joined the Peace Corps. This was a way for me to volunteer after college. But also I thought that going to another country and volunteering, I was going to a remote island would be a good escape. My head... (laughs) Um, some of these mental health problems were going to get better as I took myself out of the situation where, you know, I, I wasn't know. working a full-time job. I wasn't in school anymore. I wasn't dealing with any family problems. I was on a remote island, beautiful country. That should fix everything, right? A remote yeah, island. <laughs> 
away any uh, distractions like that. That's the opposite of what happened. Um, once mm. I was on this remote island with the Peace Corps, it's a small island country called Vanuatu in the South Pacific. I found myself with no more access to social media, no way mm. to even charge my cell phone. They had no running water or electricity on this island, no cars, just a very complete off the grid living, which was very unique and very cool. But forced me to be alone with my thoughts. Okay. Life there was very slow. I volunteered at the school during the day, just from 9am to 3. And then the rest of my day was mine. And that was a lot of time to not have a cell phone. I didn't have a lot of close friends there. There was a language barrier between me and the local people. So I spent okay. a lot of time alone with my thoughts. That's when I realized that I could really benefit from meditation, mindfulness, and just learning to address my thoughts because I had never spent that much time alone with them. So I left the Peace Corps early actually due to just some mental health concerns. My mental health was declining in Peace Corps okay. being alone on a remote island, discovering that I have never addressed my mental health in my life. I've never slowed down in my life. And so I returned home and that was my wake up call. That was my, wow, I couldn't live on a beautiful remote island. Um, I <laughs> That didn't know, work. <laughs> yeah, looking back at the photos, I was like, why? Why did I leave early? Why was I, you know, what was going on with my head there? But it's it's amazing that once you slow down and if you've never practiced mindfulness and I put it off, yeah. I was 22 at the time, I put it off for 22 years and then I dove into my mindfulness journey, which is where we can get to today, I guess. Yeah, thank you. And I want to commend you for, I get it as far as, yeah, the solution is going out to this remote island. How could that be bad? Mm -hmm. And how in that state, instead of doubling down, and what wasn't working, that's a courageous decision. And to step out of this path you had chosen with the Peace Corps. So I just want to honor the the courage it took to make that decision. And it reminds me, my sister, my one and only sister, who is one of the most compassionate, kind, wise people I know in this world. Remember, she used to say that her definition of mental health was, can you be alone in a room mm -hmm. and be alone with your thoughts? And that's what comes to mind as you describe. And I can imagine for so many people first trying meditation, how terrifying it may be to be alone with your thoughts. I really am curious to hear how your journey began that you made the decision to lean into in some sense causing distress and how did that how did that progress for you? Yeah, no, it was a difficult decision. From leaving Peace Corps due to a mental health concern, I was assigned a therapist and that was my first time really in okay. therapy. I had met with like, you know, everyone, I think every once in a while you meet with the school counselor for half an hour. And that's, I think what I thought therapy would be like, but this was so different. And this woman did recommend mindfulness and therapy. Okay. And we did a lot of breathing techniques. It was very different than what I thought. I thought we were going to be unpacking some deep childhood trauma from section one. I was like, oh yeah. gosh, I'm not going to like it. And instead she pulled out like a diagram of a star and introduced me to star breathing where you just breathe up looking at the point of the star and then breathe down oh, cool. uh, looking at, um, as the point of the star goes down and just kind of having that visual. Okay. Um, really focusing on the basics of breath work because that's where I was at that point. I had never even heard of box breathing, never done a meditation really. And it was a great introduction. And then I am an active reader. I usually read fantasy books for fun, but I decided okay. to pick up a couple self-help books. So I picked up The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Mm, good was, one to start with. Yes. It was life-changing for me. I remember I sat down with a highlighter and a pen and I, <laughs> I thought I would just highlight the most important parts. And then the whole book was yellow because... <laughs> 
full of so many gems. And I think just learning about the present moment through that book and the power of your thoughts and how to identify them. And just that idea of past, present, and future and that you can't control the, the mm -hmm. past or the future. That was like, again, like, it sounds so simple, but it was something that had never come up to me. I think I was constantly trying to control the future as many of us are. True. Yeah. Well, I'm curious, how did you move from sort of a theoretical space into living it? Through practicing it just little by little, I had to think of it like going to the gym. The first oh. meditation I put on YouTube, I remember it was like 10 minutes. It was a woman named Rochelle Fox. I found her on like Instagram. She's like an okay. influencer. And I think I picked her just because she was modern and hip and I could at least <laughs> I didn't want to pick someone that was too, I think at that time, like too hokey for me. I, I picked like an okay. influencer type meditator. <laughs> Two minutes into her video, I was like ready to turn it off because my mind was, I was like making a grocery list in my head. I wasn't there in that meditation, but I knew mm -hmm. that that was why I needed to be there was because I couldn't focus in and find that sense of being in the present that I had read about in The Power of Now. I had read a book by Osho as well on a course of meditation, and that cool. really helped okay. me to understand just reading their descriptions of that state that you get in while meditating really help reading about breath work i did have to practice it little by little and i did think okay. of it like going to the gym it was a muscle that i had never used before and i had to train mm -hmm. what i'm hearing is a couple things one you found guided meditations that felt safe and comfortable to connect with and to say that you were doing a grocery list is being mindful some people think that, oh, thoughts mean I'm not doing it right. But to be able to label, mm -hmm. that's as mindful as it gets to be able to label the thought process going on. So I just want to get that message yeah. out that if you notice yourself doing a grocery list, you're meditating, it's okay. But then mm -hmm. the other thing about getting over the hump of putting in a context that as an athlete, this makes sense to me. This makes it approachable and really inviting people to find your doorway in that, that makes sense and has meaning. So I appreciate you sharing that message. Yeah. As an athlete early on in my career as an athlete, there wasn't a lot of conversation about mental health. As athletes like Simone Biles began to speak up about it. Mm, it really yeah. did help. And I saw some of the athletes that I follow on Instagram would post captions about their mental health. I know Michaela Sheffern, um, Olympic skier, posts a lot about oh, yeah. her mental health. And that really is seeing someone who's won gold medals and be so open about her struggles was really helpful to me and made me realize mm -hmm. that there is this connection between your thoughts and then how you perform in a sport. I did find that the more I meditated and the more I did mindfulness practices, the better I was able to focus focus on the bike. Yeah. It is a very intense sport in the sense that you are in the middle of a peloton with a bunch of riders who could easily crash you out. Being able okay. to find that mindfulness helps you in those situations where there is high stress. You're moving at a fast speed and you need to focus and find a point of calm. And I think the best athletes can do that. And mm -hmm. I'm sure that they all are using mindfulness techniques to do that. And maybe not even knowing that's that's what they're accessing. And yet it sounds like to perform mm -hmm. at that level, it's really necessary to access this innate capacity. And I hear in some ways what you're describing being a flow state. And I know there's been some interesting research about mindfulness and flow. And I'm curious about your experience of those, what's the relationship there in those two states? I feel like I can enter a flow state both through meditation and through cycling. Through meditation, okay. I do find there are times when, when I'm sitting and I'm meditating, I do enter this state of calm where I can recognize thoughts as they come 
come up, I can say, oh, that was me making a grocery list. Let me get back to focusing cool. on okay. my inhales and exhales. And I do feel like I'm in a flow state then. Then on the bike, I'm in a different kind of flow state where everything comes naturally and I'm just, I'm kind of on the road, but I'm also just in this calm place in my mind where I'm not thinking about what I'm going to do when I get home or what I'm going to eat or a problem that was affecting me before I got on the bike. I'm very much in the present moment. I'm just feeling the wind mm. against my face and the sunshine and just kind of focusing on the scenery around me. And it mm -hmm. is so peaceful to enter that state where I feel really present. And I often find that if there's a question or a problem that I'm struggling with before I get on the bike, if I can get on the bike and enter that flow state where I'm no longer thinking about it, I'll often have an answer by the time I get off the bike and return to it because mm. I took that time off and entered that state where I was able to kind of take a pause. Yeah. It reminds me actually of my morning runs where I find that thoughts sort of float up like bubbles floating up in a, in a pool and I don't have to work the thought. I let the thought in a sense work itself. And, and suddenly there's this different place of connections are made that I don't think I would have made otherwise. So it sounds like you have a similar experience like that. Yeah. Yeah. I've often found on the bike, I have some of my best ideas. I, sometimes I like take out my phone notes after a ride and I'm writing down something that I thought of because it's just, it's such a time for my mind to really relax because I am focusing on my breath. I'm focusing on my body. I used to work for Runner's World Magazine and Bicycling Magazine. I mm -hmm. thought that that job would involve a lot of interviewing athletes about their training plan and their nutrition. But a lot of the interviews we did ended up being about how they focus their mind and their breathing oh, practices and their mindfulness practices. And that's what makes them a great athlete. And I think true for many athletes in the sport. That let's not get caught up just in the body aspect, but the, the mental aspects of it as well. I think you've you already referenced this with Simone Biles, attending to the mental aspect sometimes means taking a break. And with her, how it was actually going to be dangerous for the stuff that she was doing, the twisty she described how caring it is for self. And if a high caliber athlete can do that, I can do it too. I can take this time to do the meditation or see the therapist. And I really think that people like Simone Biles and others over the years have made mental health okay. This idea of it's okay to not be okay and then do something about it. And I really appreciate continuing to destigmatize. So I thank you for sharing that message as well. Yeah. No, it's been, it's been so great to see just all of the athletes that I follow on social media be more open about their mental health. And it's allowed me then to start my social media account. I started sharing about cycling. It just, it didn't feel genuine because I was sharing just positive videos about, oh, I went for a morning ride and it was so lovely. And that's kind of what a lot of cyclists do is you just kind of post, you know, a selfie of you out on your bike. And I wanted right. to share something a little different. So I began just sharing my thoughts. I would record myself either while I was riding the bike, if I was on a safe road or after I was off the bike, just talking about mm -hmm. my mental health. And I really focused my content around cycling and mental health and the connection between the two. And that's when mm -hmm. my social media profile really took off. I went from like a thousand followers to now I have over 10,000 followers over on Instagram. And it's been this really great community of people that also see the benefits of mental health and cycling. Well, and I give a shout out because I've seen your videos on TikTok as well. And so if our listeners, mm -hmm. if you're not already following Katie, when I think about them, the word joy comes to mind as well. And if you need an uplift. I want to suggest that you started your meditation journey with listening to an influencer. And I'm going to um, give you that title as well, because I find that the content you're putting out there in the world, there's substance to it. There's depth to it. A lot of that 
stuff on, you know, TikTok and Instagram is a lot of fluff. And you're bringing not only an important message, but in, in a joyful way that I connected with. So thank you for putting that out in the world. Oh, thank you. Yes, it's something I'm really passionate about right now. I, that's something I do just as a passion project. I love sharing about the connection between cycling and mental health. And then mm-hmm. full time, I've been working in social media for about seven years now. And I currently work for a mental health company called Bend Health that focuses on mental health for children, teens, and families. So it's been great to bring that experience that I have from just my passion project into my work now, where professionally I get to promote a mental health company. And it's just, it's something that I think social media can be detrimental to your mental health, but there can also be beautiful places of light in it where people find inspiration, people can connect with others. And that's the side of it that I'm really trying to focus on. Yeah, bringing it all together. First, a shout out to Dr. Monica Roots and Bend Health is an amazing organization out there for families and children. So thank you for the work you're doing with them. And, you know, I just have this sense of this young woman on a remote island who decided to lean into her challenges and lean into her struggles and has brought you to this place today. And that's such a beautiful journey that you're describing. There's an opportunity here based upon your experience to talk about mindful use of social media Mm -hmm. based upon your experience, both as a consumer, as well as a, a creator. If you can speak to how mindfulness is a way that positive parts of social media that we can use mindfulness to access. No, I think there are so many positive aspects of social media. The act of being present while you're scrolling, which is so difficult because it's an act yeah. that's designed to get your brain to shut off. And that's why it's so addicting is that your brain is shut off and you're watching these 10 to 30 second clips. But if you can tap into your thoughts during that and really think about what am I consuming and how is it making me mm. feel? That's okay. where I think the connection can come in. And that's what it's, it's, I can't, no one's perfect. I don't do it all the time, but I find in the moments that I am really present with what I'm consuming is when I can identify, okay, this is me messaging a friend and we are having a connection. And yeah. this is a very positive interaction on social media. Or my friend posts a photo of her child and I love to see an update on them. And that's a very positive interaction. But then if it's an influencer posting an unrealistic life for me or just, mm you know, piece of content that makes me feel bad about myself. That's where on that scrolling, you have to really be aware of what's going on in your brain. Are you thinking like, sometimes I see photos and I think, oh, I should be able to be that athletic or be that strong. If I see someone in the gym or maybe wearing an outfit that's really expensive, oh, I should add that to my shopping list. And if you can be really present with your thoughts in that moment and think, what, what is happening in my brain as I'm scrolling? That's where I think you have the power to control your experience on social media. And I've right. unfollowed a lot of people that previously, I used to love their content and I still love who they are. I just found that the content they were putting out in this moment was not working with where I want to be. So I don't think that there's any problem with hitting the unfollow button. I think people mm. should use it a lot more than they currently do. I wish it was right as you're swirling. I wish <laughs> next to right. unfollow versus having yeah, to yeah. file. Yeah, I think we should be a little bit ruthless with it because it's your feed. It's what you're putting into your brain. For a lot of people, their phone is the first thing they look at when they wake up in the morning and the last thing they look at before they go to bed. And right, that's right. a habit you can't break or you just have to do that because of your lifestyle and your work or your family, then Mm -hmm. you should at least be in control of what is on your phone. It reminds me of mindful eating. Consumption is really what I hear you speaking to. 
And mm-hmm. with mindful eating, it's having this awareness of as I intake the food or the, the drink, what is my direct embodied experience of it? And then making choices. And you start to notice like the potato chips sound like a really good idea, but I'm halfway through the Pringles and I notice my gut feels like a hunk of lead sitting there. Maybe I shouldn't be eating these Pringles. And I'm hearing you bring a similar awareness into consumption on social media. And you're right. I think they're both potato chips as well as social media that there's engineering going on to get me hooked. But let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Especially, I'd enjoy how you spoke to that. There's a sense of engagement and connection Mm -hmm. and how it can really swing both ways. So I think it's a powerful message to share that there's mindful consumption of social media. So really, thank you for describing that so eloquently. I think it started off in the early days of Facebook. It was you were connected with your friends and your family. And that was it. You didn't have all these other right, people who right. weren't celebrities. And I think those were like the good old days of social media when you saw your aunt's cheesy vacation photos and <laughs> yeah, you yeah. saw those like newborn baby photos where your cousin's kid looks like an alien, but hey, you can stay in contact with <laughs> and you know, right. at least you're, you're up to date on all the family stuff. And I don't think that that type of social media is harmful. That's you staying in contact with your family. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And then we entered the world of influencers and lifestyle content and celebrities. And still some of that can be so positive. But that's where I think we started to really go off the railroad tracks in terms of we can now compare ourselves to so many people. I think of like one of my little cousins. I used to be able to compare myself to the coolest girl in the sixth grade. She can now compare herself to the coolest girl in the sixth Sixth grade across the entire United States. Yeah, good point. Not at her yeah. school. And that's insane. She can watch videos of kids showing what they got for Christmas. That's something that wasn't around when I was a kid. I didn't get to compare video of what I got for Christmas. It's a whole new world. And that's part of why I'm passionate about working in social media and mental health is seeing this next generation and what they're consuming. I think it is we're at a turning point where we have to be educating them on how to have safe social media practices. It's a tricky world. My my 11-year-old niece asked for Dior lip oil for Christmas, which is what? like <laughs> lip gloss. That's like for it's something that like maybe would be on my list as a 28-year-old, but she right. saw someone on TikTok with like this $100 designer, you know, lip gloss and that was on her Christmas list. And I was like, "Oh my gosh. I, last year she asked for slime. Now she wants <laughs> designer lip gloss. And I think the difference between those two years was that she's on TikTok now. I think it's going to be important for this next generation to be taught mindfulness. And I know that a lot of schools are incorporating it mindfulness as a way to combat all this media that's being thrown at them. You give me hope that how you're bringing mindfulness into the work that you're doing. And that I hope continuing to have that positive influence, it's not going away, social media. So how do we make good use of it? And again, much the same way that we look at a healthy consumption of food, a healthy consumption of of social media. I am curious to sort of turn now in a little bit different direction around what does your personal practice of mindfulness look like these days? So these days, my mindfulness practice looks like 10-minute meditations. I find that that's what works best for me. And I do them okay. every day when, you know, not every day is perfect. I really love, there's a couple of different people on YouTube that I like to go to. And I just search up whatever meditation I'm looking for at that time, whether it's one that's focusing on your senses, which is one of my favorites, is tapping into, you know, what you're hearing, what you're seeing, what you're feeling. Mm. 
even though I've done it a million times, it helps me to have that voice guiding me. I love hearing someone else guide me through it. And it helps to have that time limit set for you by someone else where you can kind of see a natural beginning and end to the meditation. A True, big part yeah. of my mindfulness practice as well is I do daily journaling. And I find that that's just a great way for me to thought dump. I used to start off my journaling practices like I'm feeling physically and I would write all the physical things I'm feeling. And then I'm feeling mentally dot, 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 and all the things I'm feeling mentally. Okay. And I did that for quite a while. And now I find that I've just, because of daily journaling, I can just kind of brain dump and it comes out naturally. Mm, it is okay. nice to have those daily pages. And that's a form of mindfulness as well for me to just be really present with what's going on and tap into things that sometimes what comes out is like stuff I wasn't even aware of before, but just getting it out on paper really helps. Journaling has been a common practice people have shared, and I appreciate it almost like the same way you describe with when you're biking, thoughts present in a different way that you find that happens through journaling as well. And I appreciate you also mentioning one of my favorite meditations to teach is that sensory doorways, being open to receiving. It does make me think being in the month of November and gratitude about we're so often focused on the problems in our life and something as simple as receiving through the senses, like there's this abundance of gifts available to us in what we're seeing, hearing, and feeling. And it sounds like you have found a similar experience to that. Yeah. Definitely. It allows me to tap into that. And I found journaling out gratitude lists help. It's really great to have tapping into all of your senses. I find that on the bike, I often tap into my senses. I notice what I'm hearing, what I'm feeling, what I'm seeing. And that helps me kind of get into that flow state on the bike. Because cycling is a big part of my daily mindfulness practice as well. Yeah, let's include that. Yeah, yeah I would say cycling. And I, I don't get out on my bike every day. And I think an old mindset of mine was that if I don't get out on my bike, I haven't like, it's almost like a box I need to tick every day. And I felt like I didn't do my practice for the day. That makes me feel better, both physically and mentally. I've really started to think about that differently, where if I do a meditation or I write in my journal, or I love yoga with Adrienne on YouTube. She has some, uh, just a load of really great free yoga classes. A lot of her videos focus around mindfulness and I'll just turn yeah. on a 10 minute video before I go to bed. That helps as well. It's not just the cycling, but that's a big part of it. Yeah, no, I love that combination and in a sense, creating a package for yourself of what you find meeting and connection with. Yeah. And I think that the one thing I want to tease out that is a message that we haven't heard before on these episodes, how exercise can become a form of mindfulness and how... Mm -hmm. I think for some folks, they think meditation is just sitting quietly on a cushion. You're sharing how that would be another way to access this innate capacity that maybe take the earpods out, set aside the music or the book that you're listening to. And while you're exercising, connecting with body is another form of meditation. Yeah, I think it helps a lot of people who might find that they're restless when they try to sit still during meditation. Good point. Yeah. So I know that there's walking meditations that you can do. You could just do it walking. Some people like to go for a run to clear their mind. I love cycling, but it is just such a way to tap into that place of calm. It has truly been a form of meditation for me. I think they call it a moving meditation. Yeah, no, I think it's an important category to make sure that people understand that that's, that's available. I'm wondering, one, your journey has just been another wonderful story to put out in the world. And I appreciate your willingness, your vulnerability to put it out there and that touching people who may be struggling right now. And what would be your closing thoughts for people about their personal mindfulness practice? What message do you want to put out there to the world today? My message would be that it's not one size fits all. And that goes for every single day. So I've thought of it as giving yourself a menu, whereas mm. every day I 
sometimes cycling isn't going to do it for me. It's going to be journaling or it's going to be laying in bed and listening to that meditation. I can't even, I don't even want to sit up with that posture that you're supposed to have. <laughs> right. I think that it helps to have a variety of options. So if you're finding that one thing isn't working that worked for you yesterday is to have those options. So whether that's in your phone notes or in a journal to give yourself a menu because every day is going to look a little bit differently. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you or that you're doing mindfulness wrong. It just, right. it's like a menu. You should have a couple different options to pick from and doing that ahead of time before you're in that place where it feels a little bit hard to get started, I think is really helpful. Very cool. Yeah. So not only is not one size fits all for across different people, but even day to day for yourself. I love mm -hmm. that message. So thanks for putting that out in the world. Yeah. Katie, another great episode. I'm deeply grateful you spent some time with me today chatting about mindfulness. Thank you so much. Simple But Not Easy, a mindfulness podcast is produced by me, Paul Dager. And uh, thank you for putting up with my lack of technical skills. A huge thank you to my guests today for sharing their story and insights. And a thank you to Jacob Morrison, Juliana Castro, and Trevin Stiegel, my friends and mentors in how to make a podcast. I miss you guys. And Andrea Womack, who gave me my first podcast hosting experience at Psychum. And of course, thank you to my listeners for joining me on this journey along the path of waking up and being mindful together. If you find value in this podcast, please like, write a review, and share with your family and friends. Be well all until we meet again in our next episode.